I'm Kim Raycon, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Harper Academics podcast, Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators and students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic Calling, Leah Frankie. Satya thought of what Rebecca had said about changing your name at Ellis Island. You could, it seemed, walk into a building in America one thing, and then out another. The genre of travel writing takes many forms, and in Leah Frankie's masterful debut novel, America for Beginners, Pival Sengupta has done something she never expected. She has booked a trip with the First Class India USA Destination Vacation Tour Company, owned by Ronnie Munchie. She is traveling thousands of miles from Kolkata to New York, and then on a cross-country journey to California, where she hopes to uncover the truth about her beloved son, Rahi. A year earlier, Rahi told his parents he was gay. Then Pival's husband, Ram, told her that her son had died suddenly, heartbreaking news she still refuses to accept. Arriving in New York, the tour proves to be more complicated than anticipated. Pival's guide is the company's new hire, the guileless and wonderfully resourceful Satya, who has been in America for one year and has never actually left New York City's five boroughs. For modesty's sake, Pival and Satya will be accompanied by Rebecca Elliott, an aspiring young actress. Eager for a paying gig, she's long for the ride because how hard can a two-week working vacation traveling across America be? Slowly making her way from coast to coast with her unlikely companions, Pival finds that her understanding of her son and her hopes of a reunion with him are challenged by her growing knowledge of his adoptive country. Pival, Satya, and Rebecca learn to see America and themselves in different and profound new ways. It was a pleasure sitting down with Leah when she came to our offices in the spring to talk about America for Beginners. Published by our imprint William Morrow, America for Beginners is available now in hardcover and ebook, with the audiobook available from Harper Audio. So today with us in our wonderful studio that we have is Leah Frankie, author of America for Beginners. Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. So if I have to admit that I absolutely love and adore your novel, I fell in love with it straight away. I read it last summer, and it just completely, completely captivated me. So, so great I'm to hear. so, so glad that you were here talking with us. So the title of the novel is something that I'd like to sort of start out with, if that's okay. Absolutely. So America for Beginners, the phrase to me sounds like uh, an introductory level course title. Sort of America functioning as either a noun, a proper noun, or an adjective. So, so you're learning either a language, or you're learning a skill, or you're learning how to do something. So why do you think America as a place or an idea is such a fertile, fertile learning space for people? Well, and, you know, we should remember that this was all before the election. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no, but I, but I do still believe this about America um, ideologically. Um, ideological, is that's a word, right? Yeah, ideologically. Okay, yeah, great, great. What I think about the United States, and part of this is that um, both of my parents uh, are the are the children of either immigrants or migrants. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's uh, family is from Puerto Rico, and my mom's family came from Russia by way of Iran. So um, I guess what I always think of when I think of the United States is this sort of um, 
that it's a that ideologically it's not where you're from but what you are that there is where you're from is interesting mm -hmm. it, it can be really interesting uh, but it's set dressing it's background um, it doesn't necessarily or it doesn't have to define what you do or uh, where you go or what your profession is or what you pursue and not everywhere is like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, I mean, at least historically, that's part of why people came here, mm -hmm. to get away from that. Sure. Um, and I think that even d despite whatever, uh, whatever else is happening, um, in the, the thing I love most about the United States is the places and people who celebrate that. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you come from a place that, is, that your future is more defined by you, that fate is birth-bound, mm -hmm. um, that's what you have to sort of... That's what you get to learn in America uh, if you find the right place or the right community or the right group of people is that you can leave things behind. Mm -hmm. Even though we're in a, in a totally interconnected world where people don't make the kind of journeys that they used to where mm -hmm. it's like, we're never going back to Poland, it's over, you know, like, uh, damn it, put your stuff in a bag and go. Like, we, we can still go back to places and that, that's made the world a different place. I still think the crossing over of the ocean for a lot of people the coming or the crossing of the border and coming into here represents something um, that's a shift of identity. Mm -hmm. In the same way, moving anywhere is a shift of identity, but moving mm -hmm. to the new world, which is about mixture, yeah, I, that that's at least the best version of America for me. That's sort of what I what I uh, think of uh, when I try to think about like immigration in a new way, mm -hmm. rather than the immigration of my parents and my grandparents, which was very much that like classic turn of the century. Ellis Island immigration. Yeah, you know? and it's and it's really interesting because one of the one of the sentences I like a lot when they're on uh, they being um, Hival, Rebecca, and Satya, and when they're on the Circle Line tour and they pass Ellis Island, uh, and Rebecca makes the comment about people having their names changed when they did the old form of immigration. Satya thinks to himself, um, "You could, it seemed, walk into a building in America one thing, and then out another." Do you think that's kind of what people like Satya and Pival experience in this novel? Well, that was my hope, mm -hmm. certainly. Um, especially, I think, for a character like Satya, who is escaping a life uh, for another, mm -hmm. and like whose who's total sort of uh, projection is towards reinvention. Mm -hmm. And I think that, hopefully, in a sneakier way, Pival does that too, because mm -hmm. this is a character who doesn't intend to live at all right. past the boundaries of the novel, who starts the novel wanting to commit suicide. And then there is that that reinvention of uh, sort of reframing love, reframing family, mm -hmm. and what the future could hold, even though it doesn't have the people that she needs in it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think that idea that you, you sort of walk through and walk out the other side different. I think that for many for many of us like our first experiences traveling abroad are like that. Like mm -hmm. going anywhere new is like that. Um, and if the later in life that you experience that, the more transformative and I think sometimes traumatic and painful it can be. Mm -hmm. But I do think it has I think that it has the potential to sort of change you. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think travel comes to mean in this book? <laughs> It's a big question. Um, it's a big question. It's sort of it, a it biblical down. question. Yeah, you can right? break it down however however you'd like what does to. Travel mean? But for like for me, like some of the things that I'm thinking about when I asked when I asked that question is um, you know how you have Ronnie who's the owner of the um, the first class India USA destination vacation tour company, which is a great 
It rolls <laughs> off the tongue. Yeah, it does. It rolls off it's the tongue. It's very easy. It's, <laughs> so you have somebody like Ronnie who, who came to this country to sort of discover a version of the American dream and sort of go through his own process of accumulation. But then you have someone like Rebecca's mother, right, who talks to Rebecca about the time she went from Princeton to Stamford on a road trip and had a horrible time. Um, she hated the experience, but it was the greatest thing, is what, is what she comes to say. So what, what does travel mean? Well, it's sort of interesting. I was talking about this the other day. Um, I grew I grew up traveling a lot, okay. and uh, I was so lucky that my parents valued travel and took me and my brother, and we still do family trips together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it wasn't until I was an adult that I met people who sort of were like, I don't like to travel. Like, I don't like travel at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for a long time, I was like, I don't understand why you wouldn't like to travel. Like, it's, it's so great, mm-hmm. all these things you can see. But I've realized that traveling um, kind of makes a lot of people very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because you have to be very comfortable with the fact that you're going to be wrong a lot. Yes. Like you're going to go someplace and not know how things function. And we're all used to sort of knowing how the world functions and creating a world that we're like, this is what the world is. Like the world is between my home and my job and everything in between. And like, this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing. And we sort of become tied to like our lives as the world. Mm -hmm. And then you go to another place and it doesn't function that way. And sometimes it's like very charming. Like you're in Spain and you're like oh the siesta so so genteel like oh take a nap it's beautiful and sometimes you go places that make you very upset because you're like wow like there shouldn't be open sewers everywhere this is awful like Mm -hmm. this is clearly not the way the world should work but either way you're just wrong doors Mm -hmm. open differently banks are opened differently (laughs) you know money is different everything is different and you can be okay with being wrong or you can reject being wrong and I think that's what travel really it's sort of the, rec- to me, travel becomes often the recognition that the world functions differently outside of your head than it does mm-hmm. inside of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, like, sort of literally is, you know, movement and what do we travel for? Mm-hmm. And what, do, what are the root spot like, what is, what is valuable to travel for? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it sort of boils down to exposure, to, to be brave enough to want to know that the world functions differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it fits beyond the image that you sort of take and put in a book or put on Facebook, more likely now. Right. To cur- yeah, people to don't make albums it. anymore, but, you know, yeah. the, the sort of the curated experience or what you, what you go back and tell people happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the first lessons that Ronnie, I believe, says is, is you know, one of the first things he learns in his lesson of, of America for Beginners is that nothing was the way that he thought that it would be. And it seems that all of the characters kind of go through that expectation versus reality kind of distinction and disconnect, and they have to kind of mediate, am I okay with this or am I not okay with this? Yeah. Is this, is this better than I thought? Is it worse than I thought? I think that's always the interesting thing for a character like Rebecca, who mm-hmm. lives in the United States, yes. and to sort of recognize that the United States is different than what you think it is. Like... It is different than what I think it is. I have a very sort of specific idea of what mm-hmm. the United States is, which is very bound to my experience within it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that pretty recently talking to somebody who'd gone to college in Atlanta mm-hmm. and was talking a lot about like what the United States is from the perspective of Atlanta. And I was like, well, no, it's not like that. It's it's like what it's like in Philadelphia, New York, obviously. I, mean, I know I know the United States, you know, like like I know what everything is. I think that 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 discon that disconnect can be so it can be really saddening mm-hmm. because uh, 
there's something really like that we anticipate, especially for characters who sort of have like a character like Satya who's immigrated, or a character like Ronnie who's come to live mm-hmm. and who wants the world to be what they need it to be and like meet their demands in a way that is very like immediate and um, lifestyle based. And that there's also sort of something wonderful about it for um, other characters, even even Satya himself, to sort of discover that it it, it could be better because it's different, right? Not worse because it's different. Mm-hmm. So I, lo- I, I have a hard time trying to pick a favorite character, so I'm not <laughs> going to pick a favorite character in, in, this, in this book um, because they were all very lovely to me in, oh. in their own ways. Family, I think one thing that unites them all other than the fact that travel and their experience of, of learning different things about themselves and each other, something else that unites them is that they all have issues with the idea of family and with their families. Um, so why do you think sort of travel is, is a useful vehicle, a useful excursion to sort of give yourself the space to ruminate on your family and your connections in the world? Well, part of this might really be very literal to my own life experience, mm-hmm. um, which is that I grew up traveling with my family. Mm-hmm. I still travel with my family. And the inspiration for this book was my husband's trip across the United States with his family. Oh, really? Okay, uh, that's yeah. interesting. So um, when my then boyfriend's family, now mm-hmm. now my in-laws, I'll just call them my in-laws for okay. the sake of this story. Uh, when my husband Rohan and I graduated from NYU um, for graduate school, my now in-laws came and that was their first trip it was our first trip to the United States. I, I think it was my father's, my father-in-law's first trip outside of India. He okay. might have visited Rohan in Singapore, um, but it was my mother. I know it was my mother-in-law's second trip outside okay. of India. And um, what's really popular to do are these tours, mm-hmm. and everybody they know had done one, and they really were like, "Well, if everybody's done it, then it must be great." Mm-hmm. And my husband sort of fought tooth and nail. He was like, "I swear, it's it's not gonna be good. Like, let's not do, like, please don't do it. Like, please, I'm not doing it with you." He's a very like ultimatum kind of person. He's like, "I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. We're not doing it." No, they they booked it, and um, <laughs> my husband looked at it, and it didn't actually have a tour guide. It was just like um, tickets. It was like. It was like my in-laws my did sort of the cheapest thing possible, which makes total sense. Uh, everybody wants the best deal when they um, when they do anything. Mm-hmm. And so it was like it was like a bunch of Greyhound bus tickets. What the tour company arranged for you was like a city tour of each city okay. and then like transportation between them. So there were a bunch of Greyhound bus tickets and there were like hotels booked and there were... Um, there was one plane ride. Okay. Like there was like the plane ride to the U.S., the plane ride from the U.S., and then between Washington and Las Vegas. Okay. And then everything else was Greyhound buses and a bunch of like city tours and like excursion tours and like a Universal Studios tour and like a Niagara, like Maidens of the Mist thing, whatever. And 11 Indian dinners. And that really pushed Rohan over the edge. He was like, you're not, we're not having 11 Indian dinners. Like, you're not coming to this country to eat bad Indian food across America. Like, I'm not, my husband and I are very into food. He was like, this is not happening. Mm-hmm. And so he did it with them, which was fantastic and terrible. And he hated it so much. But it was great that he went because um, uh, I don't know that they would have been able to sort of navigate okay. without him um, as, as not super seasoned travelers. Oh, I should say my sister-in-law also went on that trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they all traveled across the country together. And it. I, first of all, this was the first time I was meeting these people. I didn't do the full trip with them, but I, I met them in New York. And I was like, oh, God, what is this trip going to be? <laughs> and it was sort of amazing. And I thought a lot about it. And I thought a lot about like um, traveling with my family. And I think that... Traveling with your actual family creates a huge 
<laughs> it really it really pulls out every single tension that lives mm-hmm. within you. We oh my family and I always have a fight. Mm-hmm. Not not with me necessarily specifically, but we always have one big fight right. every trip. That then we talk about on the next trip and we're like, when's that fight gonna be? You know, like <laughs> let's do it after the Louvre. Because like we don't want to ruin the Louvre. We all love it there. So stuff like that. Um I think that though the way that travel when you don't travel with your family kind of it, it take it can take you out you're out of your your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I'm on The Bachelor. Um, that you're outside of your your regular scenario and your regular self, and you get to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you travel, you can constantly reinvent yourself because if you span distance, like you can reinvent yourself in every city. And I think that for those of us in sort of tight families, or for the character of Paval, who's been so defined by family life mm-hmm. and how that exists. Um, reinvention is possible for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you aesthetic distance to sort of look back and be like, oh, am, am I me now? Or was I me then? Or am I somewhere in the middle? Mm-hmm. And I think that gives us a, that gives me a perspective that I then sort of bring back to my family. And then it's sort of uncomfortable again, right? Because I'm not exactly what I was before I left. I guess what I mean is that I think travel is transformative because it has always transformed me. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time traveling alone as well as traveling with my family. I actually spent a year traveling alone. And that was like really fundamental to sort of forming my, my current identity, right. whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it gives you that space outside of a family unit. And everything you do in travel is sort of outside of your routine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't live the way we do when we're traveling. We don't have responsibilities. We don't, we don't cook or clean or maintain. Everything is temporary and movement-oriented. Right. That can bring out who we are in different ways mm-hmm. that we may never have experienced before. Yeah. Something that really excited me when I was reading the book is how much, as much as it's about this uh, ensemble cast of characters, is that it's also very much about place. And I love thinking about how the novel talks about and thinks about and meditates on the subject of place. Because to me, when I read America for Beginners, place seemed to be something that could unite people in ideas and also drive them apart. Um, so I'm wondering, why why is thinking about place so important to you? Wow. Well, I really do want to take that class. That sounds so good. Um, there's I, a can, lo- I can send you the syllabus. Oh, please do. <laughs> I want to read it. Um, place, place, well, first of all, thank you for picking up on that. I mean, I guess it's not surprising in a, in a book about travel that place would have come out. There's a lot. Place is actually like fundamentally important to me as a person mm-hmm. for many ways, and I'll, I'll first say like the background of that. Um, I'm not a big fan of like inherited arguments. Like I am this way because my parents are this way, but in this case, I'm going to use one. Okay. Uh, so my mom, my, my mother's family is from uh, Philadelphia, um, and I grew up in Philadelphia. And my grandfather's father owned a department store in Philadelphia, so we've been in Philadelphia for a couple generations. My grandmother immigrated. Um, and met me and my grandfather during the war. But otherwise, we've been a very Philadelphia-focused family on my mom's side. And my mom um, is trained as an architect. And now she, she took over my grandfather's real estate company. <clears throat> and she still uh, renovates and, um, and uh, uh, redesigns houses in Philadelphia, although she's much more focused on renovation and like maintaining historical... Um, Maintaining the historic elements of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my brother actually 
just did the Penn Urban Planning uh, Masters. Okay. And he's a developer in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I have also worked for my family company as a real estate agent in Philadelphia. And my dad's a real estate lawyer. And we've all worked together. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been... There, there were times when I worked with my mother and my brother and my father and my grandfather all in the same office. So we're very sort of rooted in this place and time. And then I, I sort of grew up with this person, my mom, who was really tied to places and spaces and their influence on your sense of self. And when we travel, it's, it's a very architecture and art history and, and history-oriented kind of travel, mm -hmm. uh, which was the way I thought everybody should travel forever for a long time. Um, and... I got, and I was really lucky because my parents, um, first of all, they felt like uh, we weren't going to understand Europe early. Mm -hmm. Like, they were like, listen, we're not wasting money on you going to Europe when you're a five-year-old. Like, you're not going to get it, and, like, we don't have the money for it. And, like, mm -hmm. let's not do that. And so, instead, we started visiting American cities. Okay. Um, and then, throughout high school, like, we, when we started doing European and, like, you know, uh, outside of European travel, uh, shouldn't be so Euro-focused, um, we, we would do those like every every other year, every three years as we sort of had time for it and um, money for it. And then in between, we would do shorter trips to American cities. Mm -hmm. And we would always do architecture tours on those cities, which my brother and I loved, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and so like a lot of the American South, um, which was amazing. Like if, if you've ever toured a bunch of mansions in Charleston, you're like, wow, I mean... So I'm glad about the Civil War, but these people knew how to build. Like, oh, the labor that went into this is very troubling emotionally. Yeah. But, God, it's pretty. Um, and then you feel all kinds of ways about that right. for a long time. Sure. Um, but I think that that sort of cemented early pursuit of place, that, like, place would matter. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I don't think it was my mother's, like, dastardly plot, but she did end up with two kids who became very place sensitive mm -hmm. and cared a lot about spaces and cared about a lot about locations. And I think um, because those experiences came early and because, honestly, I think if you grow up in an American city that's not New York, then you're pretty, uh, I think that you, you often end up being a little bit more open-minded to other American cities rather than feeling like, and you look, New York is incredible, um, but rather than feeling like this is the center and there's nothing outside of this. Right. Um, <clears throat> That's probably mean, and people will be very offended by that, and New Yorkers will protest and burn my book, and I'm sorry about that. I do love New York, but uh, I think that even even the experience of you know visiting New York, you sort of compare it to these other spaces. Mm -hmm. and how does a city shape its denizens, and how does a city um, sort of shape your experience? And I always felt like I grew up in this really historic city, mm -hmm. and my brother and I were both like obsessed with American history mm -hmm. because we grew up in this really historic city, and we... Like, you know, my mom planned a birthday party for my brother in Valley Forge National Park. And I thought that was, like, a normal thing because we went there all the time. And then this girl I knew in college who was, like, from Arizona, and I guess she didn't like that history, even though it has, like, amazing Native history. She liked the American history, like, the American white people history. And she was like, that's so impressive. They went to Valley Forge. People died there. I was like, people died everywhere. <laughs> but, um... You know, that that was, like, and we were very, like, we were just very into that, and we were very, like, nerdy little kids who were very into that. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeking that out in other places, and, like, well, how does it affect you to be part of this historic city? And Philadelphia's also this, like, kind of blue-collar city, kind of mm -hmm. grungy city, was kind of a crappy city for a while, yeah. and has this, like, I'm sure you saw all those amazing, sort of gut-wrenchingly amazing riots over the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. that's kind of what Philadelphia's just like. Yeah. And so growing up in that was always really interesting to, like, live there and I grew up in this neighborhood that was really um has totally gentrified now but while I was growing up was really not super safe and I went to this um 
private school in the Philadelphia suburbs, and then I like came back every day to this neighborhood. And it, I don't know, all of those all of those clashes of place sort of affected me as a person, and how mm-hmm. does a place affect people? And so I, I think I grew up wanting to seek that out. And I think that places affect the people who live in them. That sounds very easy and dumb, but I, I think that's very true. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think, and I and I see that in my husband. You know, he feels very like defined by the places he's lived mm-hmm. and what they've given him access to, and the way they the way they shape your thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you seek out as an adult, I think, is often very tied to how you grew up and did you like it or not? Did you like uh, the ease or lack of ease of the world around you? Mm-hmm. How do you think about the way the world works? Yeah, sorry, that was like a long meandering. No, no, it's, no, that's no, that was great. That was really, really great. Which character? If you had to choose, mm-hmm. which character do you think grows the most in the novel? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I can't say all of them. They all, that's all growth. No, um, honestly, it's, it's sort of a tie for me between Pival and Satya. Okay. And I think part of it is like Satya has a lot farther to go Mm -hmm. like I I really I really do admire that about people I feel like I've changed in my life but I feel like I have (laughs) I don't know like I started with a foundation that's like not too far from where I am right now in Mm -hmm. terms of like a lot of my thought processes and when I see people who've like radically transformed in the way they think about the world I think that's really like incredible Mm -hmm. so I think look I mean I I, I think that you know for Paval she has this like one central belief that changes um, yeah. But really, in many ways, she's more open to um, she's more open to any connection to her son, even if it comes in a even if it comes in a source that she neither expected nor sort of wanted. Right. Um, because really, what she is seeking is that is really she's seeking her son, mm-hmm. and however he's delivered to him is sort of. The shift, I guess, is the is the messenger. It's yeah. like the, 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 the recognition of the messenger. Yeah. But once that shift happens, it's it it sort of doesn't matter what shape the messenger comes in. It doesn't matter what she might have thought about homosexuality. She's sort of more like she's sort of more like, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda, like love is love is love. You know, she just sort of feels it. Yeah, she she, end, she yeah. feels she feels the Miranda. But I think that for Satya, you know, the the shift is also like really um, I guess I guess if you sort of did did, did their like parallel lines, mm-hmm. Pavali is is discovering something like just discovering um, something exists, mm-hmm. and Satya is letting go of something, is letting go yeah. of this relationship and letting go of his past, um, and and sort of and sort of owning um, his accountability in that, mm-hmm. and like this is what I was willing to do to survive, and this is what I was willing to do to to become a person, yeah. and like I'm just gonna have to live with that because like you can't carry everything with you. Um, and letting go of, you know, sort of the relationship with his best friend as a result of that. So I, I think he changes the most because I actually think that um, Paval ha- sort of always had the capacity for love mm-hmm. and, like, um, was always seeking was seeking something and found it in a different form than she thought. But And even though it, hers looks like the bigger arc because she starts with the intention of suicide and ends with not having committed suicide. Yeah. I actually think it's Satya who changes the most because I think that what he recognizes he will be, like his capacity for change will only continue to increase. Mm-hmm. His life, this is the 
what did like Churchill say, right? This is the end of the beginning mm-hmm. for Satya. Yeah. Rebecca in the novel at one point says um, that it's so strange what people who came to this country seem to think was important to see, um, which is something I really like thinking about. Sort of if I if I were to sort of designate a tour for people who have never been to this country, what, what where would I send them to? So obviously you've chosen a set of places, but if you had to think sort of outside of the bounds of your own novel, uh, where else would you send people? Well, first of all, the places that they go in the novel are not places I would send people. Okay. This, is a very, this is a very amazing thing um, that you can look up on the internet, because I did that. And, oh, the Google. Uh, the Google. Google. You can, you yeah. can, there's a website called Google, and you can actually learn a lot there. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of information there. It's, it's really good. Nobody knows about it, but you can tell your friends. <laughs> it's a brand new thing. It's a brand new thing, Google. Yeah. You should tell your friends about it. It's, great. it's really great. <laughs> um, but uh, there are tours that are designed for different countries. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you go on a Chinese tour, like, there's a very specific set of things. Mm-hmm. And most, <laughs> most tours, I looked up, like, tours for Indians and Bangladeshis, and, like, they all include the Corning like Corning, New York with the glass museum. I mean, why would anybody want to go here? Why would you do this? It's so bizarre. I mean, actually, I really like the Corning Glass Museum. I went, it's really nice. But it's just so bizarre that you like wouldn't go to the Met that you go there to me. Um, so I would never send anybody on this trip of America. I think it covers too much ground. I don't think you get a real sense of um, anything. You know, it's like, what do you see when you see that trip? Um, I guess you do see things. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being mean. People see what they want to see. But mm-hmm. if I were going to... There's a couple trips, right? I would definitely do a history trip. Mm-hmm. And that would be like an East Coast trip. And mm-hmm. I would, you'd do sort of like north... You'd go north to south. And you'd mm-hmm. sort of start in Massachusetts. And you'd hit sort of the Revolutionary and Civil War Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be really cool. And I think that would be really beautiful when you go to like the Biltmore Estate. Mm-hmm. And see, um, you know, Asheville, North Carolina, which I've actually never been to, and it's supposed to be so beautiful. And it was designed by uh, the landscape architect was Olmsted, mm-hmm. who designed Prospect and Central, Central Park. Park. So, like, that would be so you could sort of you could see Prospect Park and Central Park, and then you could see him reforesting, and like that would be cool. Yeah. I'm a history nerd. Or you could do like a West Coast tour where you'd hit like Seattle and Portland, and you know, I, just, I wouldn't spread it across the country. It's too many things. Yeah. But you know, actually, mine is so city centric, and I think actually an amazing tour of the United States would be like a national park store. I would love to do that. Like I think I think to do like a, a to you know to see Mon- like go to Montana and um, go to I, I forget where the Black Hills are uh, North or South Dakota but sort of do that part of the country and just see the sweeping wilderness mm-hmm. and incredible um, and incredible sort of vestiges of our Native American history. I would I would do that tour. Mm-hmm. That's the one I'd do. So just have one more question for you, and it's sure. a question that we ask all of our podcast guests. Mm-hmm. Since this is primarily as a podcast geared for teachers and their students, who is your favorite teacher? Oh, wow. That is a great question. I've had so many great teachers, and I'm so lucky um, in that. I'm, I'm going to have to give you a couple from different stages of my life. That's fine. That's okay? That's okay, fine. Great. We've had that before. Oh, it's wonderful. Really okay. Um, my favorite teacher in high school... Oh, God, I had so many good teachers. I'm so lucky. I'm such a lucky person. In high school, I had a lot of really amazing teachers, and one of them was a man named Jim Davis, um, who was actually, he was a choir teacher, and he taught musical history and musical theory. And there are many reasons to love and admire Jim Davis. He was also the head of our school's Gay Straight Alliance, which I was a member of, Mm -hmm. and really had seen um, that school through sort of, I mean, look, I went to a private Quaker school in Philadelphia suburbs. I can't say it was ever conservative, Mm -hmm. but there definitely was a time when it was less sexually open than it is today. Mm -hmm. And he had sort of come in as a teacher and 
came out. I mean, he had been in a he he, he had been out in his life uh, for a long time and in a relationship um, with his partner for a long time, but wasn't sort of out at school. And that um, that he he sort of helped a lot of students uh, recognize and uh, be comfortable with their sexuality in a in a coming out space. And I think helped usher the school through that. But beyond beyond all that, which I always really loved and admired. Um, he just had this incredible attitude uh, that was like that everybody could make music. Mm-hmm. And he always said, if you can talk, you can sing. Yeah, okay. And so many students, I mean, our choir, cho- you know, our choir in my senior year, our, my high school was like 350 people, mm-hmm. and the choir was 120 of them. Okay. Right? And it was like so many people came into that room afraid of music, of wanting to participate because we were such like a nerdy school that this was like a cool thing to do, mm-hmm. um, to spend your free periods singing. Um, but he really believed that. And he really believed that anybody could come in and make music and find their voice. And that, yeah, maybe you wouldn't, like the whole, maybe you wouldn't be the best singer, but that you could do it. Mm-hmm. And he composed an Ave Maria that was um, that he had. He, he's he's Catholic, and he composed this Ave Maria that he'd written in honor of his mother's passing. That we did as like a hundred and twenty person choir in my senior year, mm-hmm. and as he as we did it, and we struggled. It was so hard. It was such a complicated piece of music, and so many people were just like we we worked so hard, and we wanted it so badly. And I don't know that it sounded amazing, but he cried while we sang it, while we sang it out in these sort of school concerts. And I just, I feel like that attitude, that was like, that's such a fundamental attitude of education, is that you can do this. Mm-hmm. Like, join in. I will find a way for you to do this. Mm-hmm. That's great. He was an amazing teacher. Yeah. Um, in college, my favorite teacher it was um, a professor named uh, Deb Margolin, who's this incredible, crazy playwright who taught me the phrase, uh, writing is the redistribution of autobiography. Okay, that's like, I like that. And just was, am- and it continues to be an amazing force in my life and in the lives of uh, my college, and was just a, like an amazing, um, another amazing teacher who let you into the room, mm-hmm. who, found, who let you find yourself in the room. And then in graduate school, God, I had so many great teachers, but I think that, again, my favorite teacher would be the person who made me feel like I could do it. Mm-hmm. That's the theme, right? That, yeah. they, that that you, whatever it is, you can do it, mm-hmm. and you can find yourself in it. And that, that I think is is teaching. It's, it's inclusion, right? That you shouldn't feel on the outside. And that's a teacher, Joven Segura, who was my screenwriting teacher, which is not what I went to grad school for. I went to grad school for playwriting, and I was really scared of screenwriting. And Joe was unlike these other two teachers who were like, you know, oh captain, my captain moments. Joe is like a very like straightforward person. Uh, not at all sentimental, and was just like, I don't know what you're scared of, just write it. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's excellent. Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excellent.